morning, everyone. The Bible reading today is Hebrews chapter 1 and into chapter 2. So it's all printed out in your leaflet, in teeny tiny print, and it's on the screen. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, When God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? We must pay most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through the angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Well, I'd like to add my welcome to that of Simon and Moz, and if you're here because you're um, visiting or you're a guest of someone who's invited you, uh, welcome. My name is Chris and I'd love to connect with you personally later on. My goal is in the next time uh, that we have together, next uh, 
20, 25 minutes or there, thereabouts, is to make it extremely worthwhile for you as we come to this rich and wonderful part of God's Word. Now, I don't know if you've, you've ever even opened up a Bible before, or if you have, whether you've ever read this book, this part of the Bible, the book of Hebrews. I'm super excited over the next few months to go through this. Um, Jesus helps us understand, sorry, Hebrews helps us understand Jesus better. If you've never really understood the, how the Old Testament part of the Bible points forward to Jesus, Hebrews is the book for you. Um, if you've struggled to understand what Jesus brings that religion doesn't, then Hebrews is the book for you. Um, if you've ever struggled to understand um, or, or worry, uh, sorry, if you've, if you've struggled to know what to say to someone who's a Christian who's kind of drifting away in their faith and going cold, Hebrews is the book for you. At the end of the book, we're told what sort of writing it is when we read in chapter 13, verse 22, brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my brief word of exhortation. 13 chapters, it's a brief word, right? You wouldn't want to hear a long word from this guy, right? Um, but it's a, it, it's a helpful description. It's a word of exhortation. Um, and meaning, uh, it's a word of encouragement and a word of warning. Uh, you might have read through chapter one and thought, wow, this is really dense with theology, isn't it? Uh, but actually, it's a word of exhortation, warning and encouragement. Good theology is always pastoral. This book is written to address a particular pastoral question. There were some Jewish Christians, that is, Jews who had become Christians, they'd heard about Jesus as their Messiah, put their faith in him, they'd become Christians, and then down the track, along the way, they had found sticking with Jesus difficult as opposition and difficulty mounted. And now they're tempted to turn back from their Christian faith and retreat to the safety of what they knew, the safety of Judaism, with all its forms and structures and laws and rituals. I guess not many of us today are tempted to give up on Jesus and go back to Judaism. But there are many who, for one reason or another, after coming to faith in Christ, have found the going difficult and who want to give up on Jesus and drift back into something familiar, whether it's their family's um, religion of origin or, um, or tradition or, or, or just drift into non-belief. Hebrews is written to exhort people not to do that. And it uses theology, it's mainly about Jesus, it uses encouragements, it spells out why sticking with Jesus is worth it, and it uses warnings, spelling out why giving up on Jesus would be the biggest mistake you could make. If I had to sum up the, the, the message of the letter in one sentence, it would be, don't give up because Jesus is better. Don't give up because Jesus is better. Whatever you're giving up um, uh, to, to go to, you're going to lose. He, Jesus is better. He's a better revelation. He's a better mediator. He gives us better rest. He's a better sacrifice. He's a better priest. He offers a better hope. Don't think about giving up because you'll end up losing. It's just not worth it. 
Now, I'm aware that you might be here and maybe you're, you're not even a believer in Jesus yet. Well, if that is you, then Hebrews is still for you because it's telling you why it's worth believing in Jesus. That is what you've got to gain. So let's get into it. Okay, so on your outline, you'll see my first point is this. How a bad Russell Crowe movie helped me understand the importance of Hebrews chapter one. Uh, the movie, which I don't recommend you watch, is Noah. So bad on so many levels, but helpful for me on a tiny one. There is a scene early on in the movie where Noah, who once heard the voice of God, the creator speak to him, he's now living in silence and confusion and he's waiting for the creator to speak. It's years later. He doesn't have a Bible to go to. None of the Bible had been written yet. All he has is time and he has to wait. He has to wait decades for the creator to speak, to tell, to tell him what, what uh, the creator wants of him. That little scene of Noah waiting and not knowing what God, who we only knew as the creator, wanted of him, reminded me of how much we actually need to hear God speak into our lives. We need God to send us messages. We need God to reveal himself to us. Until he does, we are in darkness. We know he made the world, we know he made us, we know he has a purpose for our lives, but what is it? Where do we fit? How can the, the gap between us and a silent God be bridged. Without him speaking to us, we are simply guessing. We're ignorant, we're in darkness. Hebrews chapter one addresses that particular issue. It, it says, in the past, God spoke to our, our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. The theme is God speaking, God revealing himself to us. When my wife, Narelle, was 10 years old, uh, she was sitting in class and there was an offer made, would you like to be a pen pal with someone in England? And Narelle said yes. And so she began this pen pal relationship with this girl uh, who lived in north of England. And uh, for five years, they corresponded and they wrote each other letters. They were on that, those blue aerograms, very thin bits of paper. You know, if you're younger than a certain age, you won't know what I'm talking about, but if you're older, you know, okay. And uh, you, you got to send it. And it would take weeks, okay, to, to send something and then get a reply back. And as they wrote, they progressively built up a relationship because more was revealed about, the, about each other uh, with every correspondence. Well, after five years, they felt they knew each other so well that they finally arranged to meet. And so Narelle and her mum went from Sydney all the way to England, and they travelled up from London to Newcastle-upon-Tyne. And they, they went to the house, and all the extended family was there because this was such a moment when the pen pal of six years finally came and turned up in the flesh and, you know, the tea was laid out and everything was there and the, the, this kind of comic tragedy of the whole thing is that when they opened their mouths to speak, that girl had such a thick Geordie accent and, and Narelle was an Aussie 
they couldn't understand each other. <laughs> and, and, and that was the end of the relationship, right? Because they you know, turned up in the flesh and couldn't talk. Um, well, I tell that illustration not because of the very sad ending, but, <laughs> but to illustrate the, the idea of each progressively revealing more and more of themselves over time. Progressive revelation. This is what God has done. In the past, in the Old Testament, progressively reveal, revealing more and more of himself over time, many times and in various ways. I mean, he spoke through a donkey. We're gonna get to that next year. Numbers, oh yeah. Um, okay. God revealed himself to Adam as the creator, the loving ruler of the world, to Noah, uh, the judge of the world who was also the savior. To, to Abraham, the promise-keeping God, the covenant-keeping God who would bring blessing to the world. Uh, to Moses and the people of Israel, the, the mighty redeemer, more powerful than any foreign God, the Lord who would fight for his people. And so, and so it went on. At each stage in the salvation story of the Bible, God reveals more and more of himself at many times and in various ways, it says. God spoke through dreams, through visions, through prophets. But now in the last days, the last period of salvation history before judgment day, now God has done something that he's never done before. He has turned up and he has spoken to us by his son. And in contrast with Narelle's experience with her pen pal, when God's son turned up, people understood. They understood him. And two things are said about him. Uh, in this introduction to the book of Hebrews. First, that God's majestic son is supreme over creation. And second, that he is the supreme revealer of God. Both are important. First of all, Jesus, God's majestic son, is supreme over creation. Uh, the writer here says that he is the heir of creation, the heir of all things in verse two. He will inherit everything. It's all going to him. Everything about this world that we love, it's there for God's majestic son. Uh, even the things about this world that we hate, the fallen creation, it's there for him. He will redeem it and make it new. He will be the heir of all things. Now, why will God's majestic son inherit all things? Because Secondly, he's the agent of creation. Verse two, God not only appointed his son heir of all things, but also he is the one through whom, through whom God made the universe. How did God make the world? He spoke his word. That eternal, life-giving, powerful word is God's majestic son. John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Without him, nothing was made. Everything that has been made has been made through him. The son is worthy to inherit all things because he is the agent of creation. Not only that, but he is the sustainer of the universe. In other words, he doesn't just get creation started. He's intimately involved with it continuing. Verse three, the son sustains all things by his powerful word. You and I, we breathe, we don't think about it. We can only draw our next breath because the Son of God enables us to do it with his powerful word. He sustains life. Taken together, that everything exists for the Son, by the Son, 
and through the Son, that means that God's majestic Son is supreme over all of creation. Now, what's the impact of that for us? Simply this, we should listen to him. We are part of the creation. We need him and we need to listen to him. Secondly, God's majestic son is the supreme revealer of God. This is hammered out in verse three. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. If we were able to look at God and we were able to see the light of his glory radiating out from him, out from his inner essence, you know what we would see? We would see God's son. You wanna know what God's glory is? You look at Jesus. In another phrase, verse three says, uh, Jesus, God's majestic son, is the exact representation, the Greek word literally, if I was to say it out loud, is character, character. The exact representation of his being. That, that word can be, could also be translated imprint. So if you were to get some modeling clay and you were to pre press a coin down into the clay, imprinting the figurehead in the clay so that the clay bears the exact mirror imprint of the representation of the coin. That is what Jesus is to God. Want to know what God the Father is like? Look at his son. The exact representation of his being. What that means is that Jesus Christ, God's majestic son, is the supreme revealer of God. He came into a creation which exists for him, by him, and through him, he came to it to be the perfect final revelation of God to the world. So you see what this means in terms of where we go to look to find out about God. I mean, should we seek God in dreams? Should we seek him in today in words of prophecy? Should we seek him in visions? Uh, God, God can reveal himself how he wants to. He's the Lord. <laughs> uh, he's not bound by rules. But Hebrews 1 says, how he reveals to us supremely is in his son. Mormons say the Bible isn't enough. You need the Book of Mormon. Jehovah's Witnesses say you need the Watchtower magazine as a supplement to the Bible. Muslims say you don't need the Bible. Jesus, he was a prophet, a revered prophet, but God's final Revelation comes through Muhammad. But because Jesus reveals God supremely and exactly, he's the exact representation of his being, he's the radiance of God's glory, we don't need those books to find out about God. In fact, if God's son is the supreme revelation of God, if revelation has been progressive over the ages, tracking, 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 increasing until it's crystal clear in Jesus, if he supremely reveals God, to look to anywhere else except to Jesus, the Son of God, to find out about God is insulting to God's majestic Son because it's saying he doesn't reveal God clearly, but he does. That's who he is. Verse four, his person and his name are even superior to the angels. And then comes verses five to 14. Quote after quote from the Old Testament making this point that Jesus is better than the angels. Now, you and I might say, well, why, why? I mean, it's true, but why bother saying this? Good question, we're gonna come back to that. Though, in our culture, 
we need to hear this point. Jesus is better than the angels. We need to hear it because you may not have realized it, our world is fascinated by angels more than by Jesus. So on Thursday, I did this online comparison on Google, right? I just typed in the words Jesus Christ and angels. When I typed in Jesus Christ, in 0.5 seconds, I got 314 million um, search results. Not bad. When I type in the word angels, in 0.5 seconds, I get 4.4 billion hits. 14 more times more hits for angels than for Jesus Christ. Our world is fixated on angels. And we think, well, no wonder. I mean, they're messengers from God, right? So where do you go to receive revelation from God? You'd go to an angel, wouldn't you? No, no, because Jesus has come. We have passage after passage cited now from the Old Testament to show us that Jesus, God's majestic son, is superior to the angels. And whilst it's really tempting for me at this point to dive into the context of each particular quote in the Old Testament and to take you back there and explain it all, I resist. Because you have to hear the cumulative impact. Okay, now, Caroline read very well, but if I could indulge you by reading again, I think you'll hear a cheeky tone that comes out in the verses. Verse five. To which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father, or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. To which of the angels did God ever say, none? And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all angels worship him. I mean, you only worship God, right? You don't worship angels, you worship God. And he says that about his son. Hands down case. Verse seven, in speaking of the angels, he says he he makes his angels spirits, his servants flames of fire. That's good. But about the son, he says, your throne, O God, Psalm 45, lasts forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness and therefore God, your God, even though you are God, God, your God set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. God calls his son God and at the same time, God is the God of his son, the beginnings of the doctrine of the Trinity. But the point is, don't get confused by that, God never ever says that of the angels. He says it of his son. Verse 10, he also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you'll remain. You know, we think the world's permanent. No, it's gonna wear out like a garment. You'll roll them up like a robe, like a garment they'll be changed, but you will remain the same, you're eternal. Your years will never end, it's astounding. I mean, to which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand and I'll make your enemies a footstool for your feet? None. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will just inherit salvation? The point is, which God is hammering through the scriptures again and again, is that Jesus is better than the angels. Now, Come back to the question, if that is true, we know it's true, if it's true, why make the point? I mean, what's the need for us to hear this? 
because he wants us to see that Jesus is better than any alternate revelation you might seek. Now remember, the original hearers were Jewish Christians and they were seeking to go back to their Jewish scriptures, an alternate revelation, which was received through angels. Um, now, you think, hang on, that sounds a bit weird. <laughs> okay. The law of Moses given to Moses on Sinai was widely believed to have been passed to Moses through angels. Now, we read Exodus, and it's the Lord, right? But sometimes it's the angel of the Lord, and those terms are used interchangeably. But certainly, if you look at, if you're taking notes, Acts chapter 7, verse 38, Acts chapter 7, verse 53, Acts 7, 38, 53, and Galatians 3, 19, Stephen and Paul believed, and they just pick up tangentially, they just mention it as an aside, that the law was given through Moses, through, sorry, through angels to Moses. There's a sideways reference to this in chapter two, verse two, where it speaks of the message spoken through angels as being binding with every violation and disobedient receiving its just punishment. That's the commandments given through angels, the law of Moses. Okay. So in saying Jesus is better than the angels, the obvious point is, if you give up on Jesus, you are giving up on a better revelation of God. Jesus is greater than the angels. The angels gave Moses the law. But if Jesus is better and you give up on Jesus, you're giving up on a better revelation from God. He is God who's turned up in the flesh, God's majestic son. He is supreme over all creation. The supreme revealer of God. You can understand him. So, implication, why on earth would you want to swap him for a weaker inferior revelation. That would be a step backwards, not forwards. Don't go back, because Jesus is better. You can't understand more of God than what Jesus reveals. Moses revealed God in part, Jesus reveals God fully. Don't give up on Jesus. Now, we need to hear this today. Um, first of all, there's a natural tendency in us to want to go back, leave Jesus and go back and to law. We want to do things to secure our own salvation. Um, this happens so often that I'm no longer surprised when I hear of a Christian who's now not so much thinking about Jesus but becomes fixated on the law, either the Old Testament law of Moses or laws of their own making. Yes, Jesus is good, but on top of Jesus, there's things I feel I just have to do, and if I don't, I'm gonna to go to hell. Okay, now sometimes we can sin, we can take our eyes off Christ, we can feel afraid, and then we can make up laws and we can put ourselves under a new legalism rather than trusting that Jesus is our complete saviour. And Hebrews, the book of Hebrews will, will go on to tell us about this. We need to see we are actually putting ourselves under a different revelation from God called law. But I take it that the, the, the letter begins like this, to make us see Jesus is better. He is a better revelation 
Uh, He brings us the light of the gospel. It's there in verse three. After he had provided purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. Job done, work finished, atonement made, forgiveness won, people cleansed, all right? That is the gospel. That's the better revelation. Now, we also need to hear this because some Christians see, seek revelation in different ways. They, they begin with Christ, but then they kind of keep hankering after new revelations in dreams and visions. It, it's like having Jesus is not enough. Now, please don't mis, mishear me. God can reveal himself in different ways. I'm not putting a straitjacket on God. He's the Lord. He can do what he wants. But to seek after different revelations as if Jesus is not enough, it's neither encouraged in the Bible nor is it wise. Um, People will say, hang on, but after Jesus, the Spirit came. Now, I just want to say, you cannot separate the work of God the Son and the work of the Spirit. They are not at loggerheads with one another. They go together. Look at chapter two, verse three. This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Verse four, God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. In other words, the Holy Spirit was actively at work to endorse Jesus' greater revelation. This was his work. So the Holy Spirit and Jesus, God the Son, are working together, not apart. And so now we get to the last point, the application to what we must do. What must we do, given Jesus is the greater revelation? Chapter two, verse one. Well, it's very obvious. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard, so that we do not drift away. Usually the root out of faith is a slow one. Very few people just wake up one morning and say, I'm not gonna believe anymore. Usually it's a case of drifting away. Um, Like kids who who kind of see a dinghy moored to a jetty and then they get into it and they they take off the rope and they're playing in the dinghy and, and then they look up an hour later and realize that the currents have swept them so far away and they cannot get back. That can happen to believers. How? By not paying attention to the message we've received. That is, by ignoring it. You know, head down, busy with life, not really aware of where the currents are sweeping us. We can ignore our message. You can do it at church. You could be doing it now. You could be mentally disengaging. You could have been mentally disengaging the whole time. You could have just been looking like you were being interested, but not. You could have been looking pious, looking spiritual, you know, looking up to the roof, but mentally switching off. You could have been spiritually switching off because one leads to the other, right? And you're in church. Some of you are feeling guilty about this, aren't you? (laughs) Saying it's your fault, you should be more interesting. (laughs) Well, let me just draw your attention to what it says in chapter two, verse one. We must pay more careful attention, therefore to what we've heard, so that we do not drift away. You can do this in growth groups. You could turn up, right? I know you're in growth groups, but you do need to turn up to actually be involved. So you could actually turn up 
with a Bible open and look like you're attending to it. And in fact, you might be for that moment and then you have a cup of tea and then you go home and you forget completely everything. We must pay more careful attention. He's not saying you must just attend. You might say, I know this. I've been a Christian for ages. I've heard sermons on this before. There's nothing new that I can learn. He's not saying you must pay attention. He's saying you must pay more careful attention. Well, what a wonderful thing that we're about to dip into a very theologically heavy book like Hebrews. Do you all know everything about the book of Hebrews? This is the message. You must pay more careful attention to it. So we're going to be helped. Isn't that wonderful? We're going to be helped to pay more careful attention to what we've heard. And the danger, because otherwise we will drift. We will drift away. Uh, We need to have that level of humility which comes saying, I'm in the dinghy (laughs) and the currents of life are pushing me away from the jetty. And my life is so busy, I've got my head down attending to everything. But I actually need to look up and pay attention, pay careful attention to the message. Otherwise, the currents will take me. Well, Russell Crowe was very helpful. Imagine what it was like in the days of Noah when the creator didn't really speak. You had to wait decades before you heard. We live after Jesus has come and he has brought us a better revelation than anyone ever has. Nothing else comes close. What mustn't we do? Ignore such a great salvation. What must we do? Pay more careful attention to the message we've heard. That is how you don't drift away. Father in heaven, please help us to do it and help us to more deeply grasp why Jesus is better and not give up on him. In Jesus' name, amen.